Hey everybody, it's Kim, the host of Multiracial White Boy. How you doing? Today's guest is Susan Ido. Susan is a writer. Her work has appeared in Hip Mama, Growing Up Asian American, The Bellevue Literary Review, and elsewhere. Now, I don't really know Susan. However, I met her at the Mixed Roots Film and Literary Festival in Los Angeles, and we hit it off because she's an adoptee like myself. However, unlike most adoptees who you meet who are adopted by white families, Susan truly has a unique story. I mean, her biological mother was Japanese and her father was white. Then they gave her up for adoption to a Japanese family in New Jersey. So Susan is biracial. Some refer to her as Hapa, but I'll let her explain that. Nevertheless, her story took so many fascinating twists and turns from finding her biological Japanese mother to hearing how the mother spent time in the Japanese internment camps during World War II and later reconnecting with her biological father's family. It is utterly fascinating, rich in American history and personal redemption. I will say no more. This is Susan Ido. You know, not what it's like to be colored, but just learn from, talk to other people. Because I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. So what, what's your thing? Like, were you adopted? No, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. weren't. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when I did my film, you and Lisa came up to me. And I think you told me you were adopted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I feel like, you know, my experience of being mixed is really different. Um, I mean, it's different than um, mixed people who have that mirroring on from two parents you know and it's like oh I'm kind of half this and half that and they can kind of you know have an image um so my adoptive parents are both Japanese wait so what's your ethnic background I'm half Japanese and half white but your parents were Japanese my adoptive parents so your, adop- excuse me, your adopted parents were Japanese so did you Okay, this is so confusing. Well, yeah, it's like the it black, conf- it's like, a bl- like the black people I've talked to in the show that are adopted, but they were adopted to black families. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, it was clear. I, Did I you was look like bring- your parents at all? No. I mean, no. Um, I can I can screen share you a picture, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they look like Japanese people. You Did know? you look obviously out of place or no growing up? You yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people assumed that it was a multiracial marriage, you know, a, a mixed marriage. Mm. And they would always, if I was with one parent, they would assume that the other parent was white. Um, and then, of course, the the maddening thing is that they would always be like, oh, and I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm Japanese. I'm, I'm half Japanese. And they would say, well, what's your other half? And I'd say, I don't know. You know, it was just, it was like, and that I think is one of the things that's really hard. I mean, it's hard when I, I think for mixed people to get uh, the, what are you, you know, the, the ubiquitous, ubiquitous question. And then to not even have the answer to that is really hard to, to be like, oh, you know, and when I was younger, I would sort of make a joke of it. Like, oh, well, your guess is as good as mine. Or I'd say, I don't know, maybe John Lennon and Yoko Ono. I don't know. you know. <laughs> but you know what? I, I've talked, the more 
I'm talking to people on this podcast because I used to make jokes to make myself feel comfortable and everyone else did. It's a thing. It's a thing, but it's there's a fine line because what I'm realizing as a result of talking about it with everyone else and what I've realized is that it's given permission for other people to make the joke on me. And it's given permission for me to add to the stereotypes and add to the negative, to, to the already systemic racism that's out there. So I need to be more careful about that. I mean, have you caught yourself doing that at any moment or? Oh, not now. I mean, not it, recently. No, 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 no. I mean, oh, this was younger, like younger. Yeah. When I was like in high school or college or something, you know, because I think I just felt very uncomfortable by it and I was confused. And well, you're also ashamed. adopted like myself. So not only did you have that identity of whether you're Japanese enough or white enough, stack Wait, on top. Did I forget that? Did I forget that? What? You're adopted too? Yeah. I thought, do you remember? Yeah, I, I was, I'm a transracial, I'm like Kevin Mann, man. I was oh adopted. God. Yeah, I was adopted. I totally forgot that. Yeah, I was adopted from Vietnam. And it's weird. I did my 23andMe and I was like ha- African. I had Native American. I It was like all over the map. Really? Yeah, I, I identified with zero of it. And that's half the reason I'm like, I've never comfortably acknowledged that I'm a person of color. Yeah. Because your 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 family was your your parents were white. They're fucking like <laughs> like they are so white. They're amazing, but they they're like six foot five and six foot six and just all American white. We're we were like a Reagan white family. And where did you grow up again? It was in Escondido, California. Okay. So you're where did you grow up? I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey. Wait, you were in you're a Jersey girl. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So what was the community like at that time growing up I mean it was really interesting because the town that I grew up in is a very small very white town and so our family was like the only family of color in the whole town Um, our town is famous because that's where uh, Jimmy Gandolfini from The Sopranos is from he went to high school with me so it was (laughs) was like it was like that kind of town Mm -hmm. a lot of Italian people and um you know, very white. And um, so that was my experience, you know, in for the most of the week. But on the weekends, we spent time with my Japanese extended family with my aunts and uncles and cousins. Were they close by in that community? They were like 20 minutes away. They were in another town. Yeah. But 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 we would go spend weekends with them. And we traveled with them a lot. And and I went to this very intense Japanese church in, in Manhattan. And so church was like this all day affair. People would come from Long Island and New Jersey and all the five boroughs. And it would like, you would like come and like stay for the day and they would do the sermon. And then the minister would take a deep breath and do the whole thing over in Japanese. And then there would be this huge meal that somebody prepared either the men's fellowship or the youth fellowship or the women's fellowship. And then there was like meetings all afternoon. So you'd, we would leave the house at nine in the morning and we wouldn't come home until it was almost dark. And I'd be like, mom, you know, there's a church right down the street. Why can't we go to that church? You know, and they were like, no, this is our church. And I was like, it, you know, it would take like 45 minutes to get there. And, I and was, none of your friends went there. None of the community Of course, none of my friends there. went there. Right. Yeah. So, but it was yeah. interesting that, that on the weekends, I was very immersed in Japanese community and Japanese culture. And during the week while I was at school, you know, I was with all my white friends and 
you know, I was in the community in, in New Jersey. And so I felt super half and half. You know what I mean? I felt like my oh, life yeah. was really split. Um, I mean, it's not until now that I, I'm so grateful, you know, I'm so thankful that I, that I had that, you know, and that I, I, that I identify that this, it's like, it's such a part of me and it's, it's so important and so precious to me. And I feel like it was just chance, not just chance, but I mean, you know how. Yeah. Well, it's kind of random. They didn't have they didn't have that culture or their parents made it by choice not to have them speak Spanish, not to have them speak Cantonese or something like that. I'm assuming like the other people I've spoken to, like it was probably a total drag to spend all Saturday outside of your community and now with your friends. Totally, totally. And I, you know, I, I, I pushed against it. You know, I was very not into, I mean, I think when I, when I, became a teenager, then I got involved with the youth fellowship at the church. And it wasn't like a churchy thing. It wasn't like a religious thing. It was like a community thing. And they were like, cool, the cool kids. And, you know, and so we would like make, make the big lunch and we would, we would do stuff together. We would go play basketball. It was funny that basketball is a really Japanese thing, as it turns out, and bowling, basketball and bowling are big. And so we would go after church and we'd go to the Y and play basketball or we would go bowling. And it was just, um, you know, so I, then I really felt like that community became important to me, I think, when I was, you know, when I was a teenager. How, how did your friends, which were, I'm assuming, predominantly white, yeah, how did, how, how were, were they receptive to your background and what you were doing? Well, way. it's so funny. How is that? Like, like I have a friend, I have a, oh, I mean, they didn't know. I just, I mean, they're care. so out of touch with it. I'm assuming. So, so, out of, I mean, I think they were kind of aware because they would, you know, they would come to my house. I don't think it really, it really sunk in. And a, a, a good friend of mine um, that I'm still from high school, one of my best friends from high school, she said, you know, I never thought of you as Asian. Mm. I just thought of you as Sue. You know, they called me Sue. I was yeah. Sue and I was Sue. Been getting that a lot lately. They were like, I, I didn't see you as different. I didn't yeah. think, you, I didn't, you know, they like didn't really notice. And even though everybody knew, you know, my mother, especially she worked in the elementary school in the, in the principal's office. And so everybody knew my mom, but I think they didn't really put it together, you know, or they didn't, I mean, they were like, oh yeah, you were just like one of us. And I, I and I, you know, cause I, I write, I'm a writer and I write a lot about identity and Well, culture. I met you at the Mixed Roots Film Festival. So how did you get involved yeah. with them? And how, I guess, are you, like, how, what stuff are you writing about these days about mixed American experience? Or have you, is that behind you? Oh, no. And it's never behind us, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm just finishing. The pandemic has been a little bit uh, uh good and that I have had a little bit more time to write actually so I'm finishing it's like a memoir and essays in which this is like the whole thing you know this is really what it's all about so it was 2017 so three years ago so I've had this this question my whole life right you know what are you what's your other half and and um so I did the DNA and 23andMe and the Ancestry probably in 20. 
14, I think, but nothing happened, nothing came up just like, you know, ninth cousins or whatever. And then in 2017, I had a close match and I ended up connecting with my birth father's family. Wow. Yeah. Big. It was so, so big. the Japanese side or white side? White side. Okay. Where do they live? What did he look like? How was that experience? <laughs> my God. Well, uh, to go even further back, I, so I searched for, I found my Japanese American birth mother when I was in college. So I was 20 and we have had a very up and down relationship for, you know, all these many decades, but she would never tell me anything about him. Mm. So that wasn't, um, so the, so the question remained all that time. And um, yeah, so that was, that was hard. And so when I got this information, it turned out that he had passed in 2014, but his sister was alive and his sister just, welcomed me with open arms like that's great she was like welcome to the family and it was kind of intense because you know meeting my birth mother was very um conditional and very much like okay I'll tell you I'll give you like one millimeter of information every 10 years you know what I mean it was very everyone approaches this differently man there's so much shame involved there's so and and her baggage involved my god her whole situation made it like even more so. So it turned out that um, she had me when she lived in the tiny little, okay, so t- to go back even further. So her family was interned in the um, camps after World War II. I was going to ask you, I thought that, yeah. So she, wow. was, she was a child. And then, so they had grown up in the West Coast, lost everything, lost their business, lost their home, went to the camps for, I don't know, two years, I think. And then um, after the war was over, they were, sponsored and adopted by a tiny little church community in the middle of the Midwest, you know, like complete Whitesville. And so that's where she grew up. And she tells the story that, you know, she couldn't really, nobody would date her. You know, she was very isolated socially, you know, she had friends, but you know, there was. And this is post-World War II where the stigma is already still there. Oh, for sure. With for sure. people. Right. For sure. And so, so she was like living the life of a single person and um, anyway, ended up getting pregnant with me. But I think it was like that she, there was really no path for her to have a relationship. You know, there was no, there was no, there was no real person that, you know, unless she was to leave that community. So anyway, lots of shame. And so she didn't tell me anything and it was just you know, she, it's a long story, but when I found um, his family, they were like, they took me to the family graveyard and they were like, here are your, rel- here are your ancestors from like the civil war. And here's, here's a family tree. It was like pages and pages. There were like diaries and letters. It was like a treasure trove of family history. And Did you it was, dive into it totally? Well, I was, was, it I was like in a state of shock. I was like yeah. in a state of shock, you know. Why were you be, were in a state of shock because of how welcoming and open they were, and then it was overwhelming because. Well, it was a couple. So it much? was a couple things. It was a couple things. One thing is that when I did, you know, I got this incredible welcome, and then I was like, I have to go visit, and so I, I contacted my birth mother and I told her what had happened, and she basically cut me off, and she was like, "That's it," mm. you know, basically like, "Bye." you know, have fun with them. Yeah. Cause the, they opened up the can of worms, man. And that's all her past that she's just not 
has she's wanted to bury that exactly behind her exactly so so it was like this simultaneously gaining a family and losing her at the same time you know and i haven't we haven't spoken since you know so that was really intense the other thing this is you know i think a lot about you know just what it's meant to me as a biracial person being raised by family uh you know my family of color you know and having connection to to that culture and to those you know to that part of me even though so like when when um my adoptive parents and my birth mother met they were like immediately they had so much in common they just like they they totally i mean they bonded you know it was like it was this amazing thing we're like we're all so i always have felt like i'm three quarters japanese i'm like you know i've got out of four parents three of them are japanese and there was this one unknown entity so when i when i met my my aunt my my birth father's sister she was like oh if only i had known if i had known i would have raised you and i was like and i think just the it just like you know just how fate could have just changed like if she had known and if i had been raised there and and my husband made kind of it wasn't quite a joke but it was one of those not joke not jokes things um he said and then you would have been just another funny looking white kid yeah he would have been raised in the middle of this small little you know white town in the midwest and you would have had no idea and they would have had no idea how to give that to you especially i think like like people who are adopted who are you know 100% asian you know korean or chinese or whatever they really really stand out and so it's like there's this there's no denying that they're asian right but when you're biracial i mean i feel like you know we sort of we can pass depending were you pretty you white know, in passing when you were growing up in your community in jersey i i think so i, I think so i have yeah, it's so I mean, weird because you don't think about it Really, you don't you think just, about it. Everyone, you don't realize it's like what it. people say. People say, "Oh, you're Susan." Yeah, that's ex- yeah. exactly. You're Noonan, and then you go outside your community, and you're like, "Fuck, I'm a person of color." Did you have yeah. that moment, or I'm um, Japanese, or like when did? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I always felt like I was because of my my family and because yeah. of this whole community, right? I really felt like I was, and I think the problem was when I moved away from them, I felt like I lost that, and I lost that 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 bridge that they gave me they I always I was like a part of them and so nobody ever questioned that I was part of that community and everyone you know people were I mean it's not even welcoming it was like they just took for granted that I was you know you're a Noonan I'm an Ito you know that that this is this is this is who I was and when I moved to the west coast of course there's a huge Asian community here and there were a lot of Asians especially Japanese Americans who were like I, I mean, I remember once I was uh, teaching at a community college and I went to the, um, they had like an Asian faculty club or something. I don't know, it was Asian faculty meeting. And I went and this guy literally was like, what are you doing here? And, and it was just like, I, I think I just felt stripped of my identity and my right to claim that. You know? I, you know, this is so interesting because from my perspective, I go there and I, I kind of see where they're coming from. And I think what they're telling me is truth. But for you, you had a, sound like you had a rooted, authentically so rooted. Japanese upbringing. And then they're telling you 
you're not, you're, you know, that they, you're not accepted. Well, I think that was what was shocking to me. And I realized that my, whatever, I mean, people who are raised by, you know, white parents have like white privilege. And then there's the shock when they realize it doesn't extend outside, you know, it's like they get stripped of that. Yeah, and I felt like I life. had, yeah. yeah. And I felt like it's, it was almost the opposite with me. I had like, you know, Asian belonging and that sense of belonging, I had to build it for myself all over again. So yeah, it creates so much inadequacy bullshit. Like you're not enough. And that you, oh my God, that sounds awful. And, and dissonance. And just yes. like, you're just like, you, you're just questioning everything. And um, so it wasn't until, let's see, I mean, it wasn't until I was out here, I've been out here probably 10 years. And I, uh, I took an Asian American writers class at Mills and which I'm now teaching, which is like, Full circle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. But being in that class and feeling like the professor and the other students in the class, like they saw, like they claimed me, you know, they were like, yeah, you're, of course you're one of us, of course. You know, and so I started this Asian American women writers group called Rice Papers and we would write together. And I just felt like it wasn't until then that I was really able to like fully claim it and be like, yes, I belong in this community. I've been in this, I was in this community my whole life. And I, and even though I'm all the way over here and I don't have my parents anymore, but I'm like in my thirties at this point. And I felt like I was able to, you know, take it back. And since then I, I'm just like, I'm owning it. I mean, I have since then, you know, since then, and I'm just kind of like, if anybody tries to tell me anything, you know, I, I feel very solid in that again but it was like this whole process of losing it and then having to rebuild it and reclaim it and be reclaimed and I feel like the thing is is that if you feel like you have the right to be you know Asian then other people will respond to you that way but I think when I first came out here and I was feeling very tentative I let people like get under my skin and get to me and get to my that weakness you know, or that perceived weakness and that insecurity and that like, I don't belong here. And like, this was all bogus and it's really my parents, but it's not me. I mean, it's just, you know, this whole thing. It's, it's a, it's, it was a process. It, it sounds though, even though you went to Mills and you developed this community that you had to put yourself out there though and stick your head out there and you used your voice, your writing voice to reclaim yourself yeah. and you found that community so you it sounds like you really over was part of that process overcoming you overcoming things as a result of like you doing the writing you're writing too oh yeah I mean I feel like if I didn't have writing I would have been locked away long ago or hauled <laughs> away or... I'm so glad you admitted that that's like that is so me too I'm like yeah I'd be somewhere in a gutter somewhere Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Or I would be, yeah, I, I would be in big trouble and I feel like it's writing that really saved me and, and helped me make sense of it. You know, just trying to like work it all out on the page and, you know, I've written a lot about it and um, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like it's helped me sort things out and continues to, it continues to. So the Mixed Roots Film Festival that you and I, where you and I met. Yeah. Was this, poetry you write? Is it essays? I think it was an essay. I think it was an essay called um, 
hanbun hanbun, which means half and half in Japanese. And it was kind of like an essay exploring what it meant to be half and half in that particular family with my parents. Yeah. And has it changed over time? Oh, totally. The language. Yeah. I've noticed that with people. Like it starts. Oh, the language? The language and the evolution of who you are and the individual, how it's kind of, the process is messy and you kind of. Very messy. Yeah. I mean, there were many, many years that I, you know, I used the term Hapa, you know, Mm. And I was really proud of it. I was really excited when I found it. I was really excited. There was like, I don't know if you remember Hapa Issues Forum was like this organization. They were out of UC Berkeley. And, um, you know, I was so excited. I mean, that there was a whole organization, you know, for mixed race Asians, you know, I, that was unconceivable to me, you know. And so to find that was really exciting. Um, And now it's like, it's not a, not such a good thing to why call is oneself it, that. Hmm? Why is it not such a good thing? Um, I, for I, you? I, for me, well, I think learning more about that, you know, that was a phrase of kind of cultural appropriation that really Hapa is for Native Hawaiians. And, you know, I was, and I was called that. People used to refer to me that. And I was like, what? Okay. And I just accepted Well, I think it, it became kind of an umbrella term for all mixed race Asians. You know, I mean, and you look at Kit Fulbeck's book, you know, he's got those Hapa uh, photography books. And I mean, I was really, I was just like so excited and so proud because I just felt like, you know, when you, whenever you can find any kind of representation, when you feel like a unicorn or a weirdo is like, it's very validating. It's very exciting. And so I, you know, I clung to that for a long time and, and I kind of had heard this thing like, oh, it's not really such a cool thing to use if you're, you know, not really, if you're not specifically this, I kind of chose to not hear that for many years. And then finally, I think recently, especially now that I'm teaching, you know, Asian Pacific women writers, and I, you know, I have to, I, I, can't kind of live in that denial anymore. And I don't want to. Do you have you know, these discussions with your students? Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, teaching this narratives of mixed race descent is like, it's, it's a mind blowing experience. It's, it's the most mind blowing experience, because I have students who, you know, they're young adults, and they're just starting to grapple with these issues. And for them to come in and say, we're going to spend an entire semester talking about this and exploring it and hearing from other people who live this experience. It's like, it's a lot of them just are like crying on the first day, because they can't even believe it. I would have cried if I had a class like this. Are you kidding me? I, I it would have been amazing. So, um, yeah, I do talk about it with my students and, you know, and then there's even, it's, there's an interesting thing now there's, you know, there's uh, a school of thought that people don't use the word. I mean, it's interesting mixed or biracial because, because of the, um, you know, race sort of being this construct and that you're, you're, you're buying into this idea of purity by using the word mixed. Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. can't be mixed if there's not such a thing as unmixed, right? So that's another, you know, and that's thing. That's something that I'm like grappling with right now. I still, I still use mixed, and I, I still use multiracial or biracial. 
Um, but I, but I, I recognize that it's complicated. It is complicated. And I was, the more I talk to people on this podcast, I think it's so complicated because there's not, there's a white community, there's a black community, there's a Korean community. There's no mixed community. You got to go online to find that. It feels like. It's true. Is that a stretch? Like no, with like mixed communities. So you, well, I mean, like to talk hmm? to you. you don't have that culture to talk to you, right? And even within even within the mixed community, don't you find, especially being an adoptee, that we're like a subgroup of the mixed community because we don't have that. You know, we can't like loving day. We don't have like a parent. We didn't have two parents who were you know, equally present in our lives, um, sharing their own culture and experience and heritage with us. Yeah. You know, it was like, it's, it's very, um, yeah. And I mean, I often call myself like a upside down transracial adoptee because it's like, I, I guess I am a transracial adoptee. I mean, if you're mixed, then you're in a transracial adoption, right? You have to be. It's so confusing. <laughs> I mean, just all this terminology. Uh, just, yeah, there's this uh, the terminology in the language. It's it's really interesting. And um, I had a girl who came on the podcast, Alyssa Paris, and she's fantastic. She, because her thing was that the language is always evolving and shifting and that it's messy. But she, seriously, she is a change agent for the mixed identity. Mixed- Wait, I'm going to write this down. Alyssa Paris. She is on episode, I forgot six or seven, but she's fantastic. And she had some of the most lucid and succinct definitions of mixed race. And she, she bought me into so many things. Wow. And that's, and hearing you has made me realize, oh shit, like you had your own you grew up with a Japanese family. I didn't know that. I thought you were just like the typical, the, the, an adoptee that grew, cause I knew you were adopted that grew up with a white family, but you grew up with a Japanese family and you did, you had that rooted upbringing. That's crazy. And then you, you had know, to struggle to be Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's amazing. I mean, I really felt like, you know, we often say, you know, the unicorn among unicorns, like, okay, I was mixed race and adopted and, uh, raised by Japanese parents. And I was like, there's nobody who's had this experience. I mean, nobody. And there was this uh, Asian American, Asian adoptees art and film festival in Hawaii, um, 2008. And I was like, I have to go to this. I'm going, I'm going to this. And I went and lo and behold, we had a panel and there was like five of us who were mixed and raised by Asian parents, mixed, adopted, and raised by Asian parents. And I was like, my five unicorns, <laughs> you know, that I, but of course, Hawaii would be the place where this would happen, you know, where they, they would be mixed people raised by Asians. That's fantastic. But, because but, but even, I haven't heard your story. And then it's amazing that you found people that have your same story. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. You're amazing. so not alone out there. When we well, think we are. but it takes a long way. It to, takes a long way to get there. You got to do some. Yeah, you got to be active in the shed. You really got to be. You got to be active, and you can't, you know, make assumptions. And you have to really reach out and 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 be out there. I mean, I remember when I was in kindergarten, and uh, in my little town in New Jersey, and there was some exercise. It was like a some icebreaker for 
five-year-olds or whatever. And the teacher went around and said, I want everyone to say, what is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? And everyone was like, of course, pancakes and Fruit Loops or whatever. And I was like, ochazuke. And they're like, what? You know, and they're like, what's that? Oh, no. And they're like, basically, it's like leftover cold rice with tea poured over it and then a sour plum. And they were like, you're weird. And that teaches you don't speak up at all from that. And that's like, okay, next time you're gonna say pancakes. (laughs) Yeah, say pancakes. (laughs) Say cheerios. Come on. (laughs) Oh God. That's a great story. All right. I want you to complete the sentence. Um, I feel optimistic about black, indigenous, and people of color because because our stories are important and our stories are, I think, exploding at the moment. And uh, I feel optimistic because I feel like there's a, there's a real hunger for these voices and these stories. And for as much as there might be um, pushback, there's also an embracing. I'm embracing. I can't wait. I want to hear more voices. And I want to hear more experiences. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, um, yeah, these stories are important and are not going to be shut down. Yeah, I I think if there's one thing I really got out of the festival that you and I met at, that Heidi and Fanchon did, Mm -hmm. they always talked about how the mixed experience is not just a mixed experience. It's an American experience. Oh, absolutely. And once that connect, I'm like, that's so true. It's an American experience. It is. It is. Um, fucking election today. God damn it. <laughs> Can we just talk until tomorrow? That was an amazing discussion. Seriously. Thank you so much, Susan Ido. And thank you so much because we did this podcast the day of November 3rd. And it was in the morning. We were both on pins and needles. And it was just great to just talk about something that wasn't politically related and that would offer us some peace of mind for you know for for a little while before all the you know before all the drama began anyways again thank you so much guys for all your support i don't know what it was this week in particular i got a lot of personal dms and it means a lot i'm kim the host of multiracial white boy please follow us on the multiracial white boy instagram page i'm always posting stuff people are people are liking it that's why they're dming me and i appreciate it i will see you guys next tuesday see you then